Odyssey Richmond is the number one shop for all college basketball fans. We've got you covered. WRVA for UVA Hoops, 96-1 for Virginia Tech, WRNL for your VCU Rams. Midday host on WRNL 910 The Fan, Adam Epstein and his VCU alum friends will discuss the VCU basketball program weekly with insight, analysis, and interviews. This weekly podcast will be the answer for all Virginia Commonwealth Hoops fans. Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! And this is the Black and Gold Fan Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Black Gold Fan Podcast. I'm Adam Epstein alongside Chris Mason, Connor Bailey, Caleb Jones for Season 2, Episode 16. And we know you came here for the preview of VCU against Richmond, the Capital City Classic. But first, we've got to recap the last two games at the Seagull Center. We should mention, Black and Gold Fan Podcast is proudly presented by River City Roll. Don't call River City Roll just a bowling alley. RCR is Richmond's top entertainment scene with live music, a chef-inspired menu, the pizza's banging, the wings are good, heated outdoor patio, and boutique bowling. River City Roll also features the best live entertainment every Friday and Saturday. Come on by for brunch on Sunday. You won't be disappointed. There's something for everyone at River City Roll off Arthur Ashe Boulevard near Scott's Edition. Go check out the menu online, River City Roll. Dot com two home games Caleb's two home games Caleb two dubs love it yeah we squeaked that one out against St. Joe's um you know I felt like we would hit them with an offensive run and they just kept responding our three-point defense against Eric Reynolds was not great in that second half uh obviously don't want to allow 42 points and a half but yeah we pulled it out and then we cruised to a victory against Rhode Island last night but uh it was good to see offense in both of those games yeah, I mean, it, these were bounce backs uh, from the, the UMass loss last week. When we, when we recorded last week, that's what we kind of discussed. We said, hey, we have two home games, winnable home games, one against a rated poor opponent, Rhode Island, one against a talented yet kind of underachieving opponent in St. Joe's. Uh, and we did, did we do what we had to do. You know, the first half against St. Joe's could have been better. Uh, we scored, what was it, 21 points, I want to say? Yep. yep. Um, could have done better. Uh, and like Caleb said, Eric <clears throat> Reynolds uh, lit us up. And honestly, a lot of those threes were just wide open where our defense was poor. Uh, but – even as soon as we took the lead against St. Joe's Sunday, it was one of those I was like, we're going to win this. Even when St. Joe's was hitting threes, I was like, their defense is so lackadaisical. Their coaching so poor. I, I was never worried. And then Rhode Island was, I mean, we, we took we took a 3-0, or no, I think we took a 3-0 lead or something, and we just never looked back last night. So, yeah, it was great to hold serve at home uh, as we, as we kind of get closer to March. Yeah, I'm not in the business of crushing coaches, but I was not impressed with the coaching staff there at St. Joe's. I mean, especially with the run we went on in the second half, they didn't really adjust until Eric Reynolds got hot. Yeah, Billy Lang has been taking a lot of heat this season, and I think rightfully so. Uh, some of the decisions he makes in game just make you scratch your head. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if he sticks around very long. So, Connor, you mentioned 21 points in the first half, 52 in the second half. I want to bring up something Mike Litos was tweeting about today. You saw that, guys. Like, this is a team that has scored 22 points or less a lot of halves, but also has had the offensive explosion of 50 multiple times. So you really don't know what you're going to get. It's kind of crazy. The volatility with this team has been there the entire season. They're liable to just do nothing on offense, and then they can really go off, too. And I think that that is a credit to the type of guys we have on the team when you look at a guy like Joe Bamisil or, or Max Schulger or someone like that that can really get going. Uh, you know, VCU went one of ten in the first half from three against St. Joseph's, then seven of twelve in the second half, and it was, I mean, between it, Joe Bam mainly, Joe Bam, I believe, I believe all four of his threes were in the second half, if not th- at least three of them were. Uh, so they kind of there was an extra little little bit of pride almost, a little oomph in the second half. Um, but yeah, back to Lange and, and you know, Lange, excuse me, Billy Lang, uh, St. Joseph's has been unimpressive from a coaching point of view. Uh, now Xavier Brown's a dude. That yeah, is they, a, I mean they can recruit. I, I didn't say anything about they that. They got a lot of talent. They yeah. got some dudes in the team. Oh, Xavier Brown looks like he could be in the NBA in four years. I just I I felt like. Uh, uh, Creased uh, Asandico is someone, and you know, he's not as polished as like Benning or Matt Cross, but I feel like all his Joe's like throw him down. Like, he was like shooting threes and like hitting backboard. That, that's barely hitting backboard. Two just, in a row, and the so, coach didn't take him out. I'm like, so get, Billy, Billy yeah, Lang's man. biggest uh, recruiting chip is that he can develop NBA talent. He was on his staff, I think it was the 76ers. Yes. Yeah, he, and, he came and from the That NBA. was the whole idea. And I think that, you know, when he's recruiting Chris Asandico, he's basically saying, I got Joel Embiid in mind, and I think that I can help you develop into that type of player. 
So, uh, I mean, yes, he's a freshman. He's very raw, and it's hard to deny the size that he has. But, um, you know, I, I, he's still a freshman, and he made a lot of freshman mistakes, and we capitalized on that. So VCU uses a 52-point second-half explosion to beat St. Joseph's on homecoming Sunday, 73-69. to And we've talked about it throughout the course of the season, but I think the coaching staff of VCU deserves a lot of credit for their halftime adjustments. It's not the first or the second time that we've seen them come out and dominate in the second half. You know, slow starts have been an issue. We've talked about it. But the way they adjust at halftime is impressive. Big stat I want to point at, uh, VCU only committed nine turnovers against St. Joseph's. And a stat I mentioned in the last, last uh, episode, St. Joe's ranks second in the A-10 out of 15 teams in defensive steal percentage. They get a lot of steals. Uh, you know, they have, they have shifty guards. It makes sense. We only committed four turnovers in the second half. Uh, so stand under 10, which is a recipe for winning, especially for a team like VCU that is up and down the court sometimes, and there's you're more liable to get to, to, to turn the ball over. So that's a stat I want to focus. But th- there was definitely an energy from, I mean, from the, the tip of the second half, or from the inbounds of the second half, the, the team was ready. They were like, hey, we're not losing this. Yeah, Zeb Jackson, I wanted to point out, four assists, zero turnovers, two steals and a block, six points, just filling up the box score against St. Joseph's. But I think it was Sean Barristow's one of one from the three-point line that was right at the start of the second half that kind of got the team energized to then go on that run. Yeah, being down five at half and when Barristow came out and hit that. I think uh, six, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah sorry. Um, yeah, that, that was a big shot. It was just kind of a statement like, okay, we're, we're going to punch back. We're not going to play like we just did in that entire first half. Um, but, yeah, I mean – when you look at the box score, our assist-to-turnover ratio is great, which it has been all year, and it's just such a uh, a difference from from a lot of our games last year, which is which is nice to see. How about Toby, like almost like hitting his head on the rim? And as yeah. as someone who you know on a seven seven foot five rim, when I was like in high school, I almost could you know have my head hit the rim. I mean, he's getting up there, and the announcers are loving it. It was Roy Hibbert, I believe. You know, we were at the games, so we weren't we weren't watching, but Roy Hibbert, I think, is the, was the color guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's he's like yelling "big fella" and stuff, and like Toby was just flying through the air. <laughs> he uh, straight up could have bit the rim yeah. on that on that one dunk. Yeah. It's, and he missed the dunk in the first half. It's almost like he was told to put your wrist inside the basket to make sure that you don't miss. He finished the game with 16 points and 10 rebounds. I, uh, but what was impressive was how he got around the bigger defender. Yeah, I mean, he uses agility to get around them. And, uh, I mean, if yeah, if we're getting 16 and 10 from Toby, we are going to be a very, very dangerous team. Uh, we have to have that inside presence. And against a big guy, I mean, Asandago pro- probably outweighed him by 80 pounds. And Rashir Fleming's not a small guy either. Um, I was really impressed with Toby against St. Joe's and last night too, but we'll get to that. So I went back to school for AWOD Goes Back to School <laughs> earlier this week. Stat Monster, I want to give you some homework. Mm-hmm. All right. So the Rams had 39 bench points, outscoring St. Joe's 39 to 10. Where does our bench points statistically match up with the rest of the country? Um, so we're like, the last time I looked, we were fringe top 30 in bench points. Yes. So yep. probably number one in the A10. Yes, we're definitely number one in the A10. Uh, I think Loyola Chicago is next behind us. They're they're a pretty deep team too. But definitely. obviously, Joe Bamisil is a big lift there, but, I mean, we've talked about this before. We have a ton of depth where a guy like JNL can go off if Toby scores between 10 and 15 on a night. There's a lot of guys that can chip in and give you some points. And, I mean, you, you throw in, like, Michael Bell. And, granted, Michael Bell's not a score, but there are games where he has, like, five, you know, two, two or three layups and such. All yeah. of a sudden he has six points at the bench. Um, so, yeah, at last I checked, we were definitely first in the 10 And, like you said, Loyal was up there because they'll play Jaden Dawson and guys come off the bench and score, like, 16 randomly. Um it's important though. Uh, between Zelikin, uh, probably yeah. specifically, you know, J- uh, Jason Nelson against Dayton, we scored forty nine points and like hit eleven. Yeah, he hit three threes. So, so it was a good win on homecoming day, seventy three to sixty nine. One thing I didn't like was Eric Reynolds making six straight three point shots in the second half, and it felt like the guys struggled to get around the screens. I don't know if they were, you know, I don't know what it was. I think to me, it was kind of playing with a lead and. Guys got a little lazy. There were some miscommunications. I remember, I get, I think it was Toby and I think Shulga maybe. They were, they were definitely yelling at each other on a miscommunication when Eric Reynolds drilled a three, and I think Odom called a timeout mm-hmm. walking to the huddle. So um, I think it was just a little bit of lapse in attention to what was going on. But um, you know, since the Bonaventure and GW game, we've done a really good job of keeping a team's best shooter under wraps. So. I think we need to get back to that. 
I love that you mentioned those two games, the start of conference play, because I think I was reading Zach Joaquin. There was a quote from Max Shulga where, that was you know making headlines where he said that when he was playing bad defensively at the start of the season, he could see the look on Bradford Burgess and Darius Theus's eyes. I saw that. Like on their faces, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, it was like he just let them down. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's so Bradford funny, down. <laughs> It was the post-game Sunday after St. Joe's. They okay. said that, yeah. yeah. So, which is like, first of all, it's like, I love your, I love that you're real, Max. Second of all, it's like Brad and Darius on the staff. Like it just, it, there, there's a sense of, sense of pride. You know He's what I'm embracing saying? Yeah. what VCU basketball is all about. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's what's so key about having those guys on the staff is they can pass down that that information, the the legacy, and really tell them, you know how how that can't how that can't happen. And then last night it was a 42 point first half, a 46 point second half, and the Rams defeat the Rhode Island Rams 88 to 67. What's the biggest thing that sticks out to you? Um, well, first thing, I just really enjoyed a comfortable win, a conference game where we just cruised the entire time. I mean, I think it was what 17 or 19 to three at one point, and uh, yeah, I think it was eight, it was 73 or 18 three. Yeah, it was just like that. It was like boom. Yeah. So <laughs> first thing I want to do is shout out Max Shulga for breaking the 1K mark. That's a big, big achievement. I mean, if you score a thousand points in college basketball, you are a good, good score. Were good you player. shocked at the numbers? Four more than four hundred of it was at VCU. Yeah, I mean he has scored a lot this year. Um, he didn't play. I mean he didn't get a whole lot of PT his first years. Trivia question: What was it? Who was his first game against? Uh, us VCU and yeah. uh, really yeah. which, that, they, that Ace Bones team. Which Dakota? And we, it was it was uh, the, Sioux Falls, right? It's that the, yeah, uh, the, the Paragon Arena, the Pentagon. Yeah, Pentagon. That, yeah. yeah, it was the it's Battle for Atlantis in whatever Dakota it's in. Yeah. But uh. You have, any, you have any idea how many points he scored? He, or how he actually, on the, they asked him last night. He didn't score in that game. Apparently, the next night, they played Northern Iowa, and he hit a free throw. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, uh, Bones' last year at BCU. Small so. world. Yep. So, Joe Bamisil, I believe, yeah, made first his first five shots. Um, he, he came in on fire. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable the way he's able to heat up like that. And, you know, you just love hearing this guy talk. I said on my show today, Brandon Rozell was the mayor of, of, of Richmond. Joe Bamisil might be the coolest guy in Richmond right now. He's he's just so pumped up. You know he you know we've discussed it multiple times on here. He's you know he's three time transfers, fourth school in four years, but he's a local kid. Uh, we know his you know his father's dealt with uh, uh, some kind of illness. Uh, don't know the specifics behind it, but I imagine being close to home, being in front of uh, family, extended family, friends, and such, and it just it feels like he when he, when he checks in the game, and I still love I. I understand if you, if someone wanted to say, "Hey, you should start." Yeah, that's, that's kind of here and there. I love when he, ch- I love seeing him check into the game at like the 17 minute mark, and he's got a little smile on his face. He's doing his little clap, and also, dude can get some damn rebounds. I mean, yeah. you know, he's obviously a good shooter, but I love seeing him. Sky- it reminds me of Rob Brandenburg for a guard who was what six foot two, six foot three, could, could sky for a rebound, and I love seeing Joe do that. Yeah, and Joe kind of mentioned it in the post game pod that we had the little conversation that Chris and I did with him after the game, where like he treats his body so well he's really into his diet and working out and you can see it like he's not a stick he's, he's a strong guy he's almost all muscle yeah absolutely and yeah the stamina to come in those shirt short bursts give the energy off the bench and the other interview too i want to shout out zeb like even though he's not like putting up huge stats he's doing more leadership stuff he mentioned like um theus talked to him he's just like i'm not concerned about you guys getting points or or you specifically getting points or assists like even it might be a bigger help if you just like pick up a teammate if they miss and things like that so yeah for sure and just joe's been so much fun to watch this season yeah absolutely uh the other guy i want to talk about is sean bear said that was a uh, awesome game from him he converted through contact at least at least twice maybe three or four probably, times probably three getting times, yeah. getting and ones and um hitting his free throws too which is um you know, if, if Sean Barristow can give you that, granted it was Rhode Island, but if he can do that against the higher-level competition, this team is just so much better. As as we discussed last week, you know, he's just so important <laughs> down the stretch for us, you know, especially like on a neutral site. Uh, another stat, you know, you mentioned a player. stat I want to look at, I mentioned Rhode Island last year, last week, one of the most uh, more efficient offensive teams in the A-10. Fifth, their fourth most off- efficient in A-10 play. We forced 15 turnovers to them, and they yeah. kind of and they were just kind of throwing the ball around. Dude, looked, Zeb was all over the and, place. And I was going to tie that in. I was going to say Zeb Jackson, who, yeah, in the out-of-conference, he had a score. He We were kind of asking him to score. He was averaging like 16 points a game in the first five or six games. Part of it was like, hey, Shulga, Zeb, you guys are the only ones with any remote experience. Go out there and score. And I kind of like – I almost, I like his role right now, but his defense is just so great. And even if he's not getting a steal, he's, he's forcing pressure. Someone else gets a steal. Yeah, two interesting stats from the last two games. Um, well, 
we've out-rebounded each of those opponents by seven, which is good. Winning the rebounding battle, obviously great for the possession battle. Um, but then our free throws, which has been a strong point for us the entire season, 17 for 19 against Joe's, 18 for 21 against Rhode Island. I mean, especially when games get tight in a – in, in the A-10 tournament or any sort of tournament that you're in, that is so critical. Yeah. I mean, like, it just gives you such a leg up. So if we can continue that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's big. The first half against Rhode Island, I want to know what you guys saw because what I saw was the VCU Rams were letting the Rhode Island Rams jack up threes. We were going under the screen and letting them toss it up there and we weren't letting them get an offensive rebound. So it was one possession and done and a lot of it was just bricks, right? I mean, <laughs> Jaden House was 0-5 for 3. Yeah, they were, they, uh, go ahead. they were jacking up some threes and I was yeah, like, yeah. you know what, if they make a 26-foot three, you know, more power to them. Uh, but, and, and you mentioned three-point shooting. They were second the best, second best in the A-10 coming to the game. They shot 9-28 last night. They had a good second half and I, if you want to nitpick about last night, our second half defense was kind of lax the days ago. Now we were scoring, so it didn't really matter. Connor Dubsky put on yeah. a show yeah, in the and, second and half. And as a fellow Connor, there's not a whole lot of them out there in the in the uh, sports world, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Duke could hoop a little bit. You yeah. know, he he was kind of wet. I'll say that. Here's another thing I'll say is just an observation I made about the bench during the game, especially in the first half. But they had their offense totally scouted out. I could see the entire back row of our bench. Um, the grad assistants and some of the other assistant coaches, they were standing up because they knew exactly where the action was, where a guy was supposed to get the ball in the block. Our guys on the on defense executed, totally cut off the passing option. They had to kick it out and run some secondary set if they did it all. And it was just their offense was totally destroyed from that point. I want to go back to you. You mentioned how nice it was to cruise to victory. Uh, 21 point win for the Rams blackjack and you got to clear the benches right and that doesn't always happen but you get three minutes for Roosevelt Wheeler three minutes for Fats Billups that's three games in a row for Rose I really think that's good for team morale so oh yeah I'm glad you brought that up my biggest gripe my personal biggest gripe with last night's game is that we didn't break out the bench earlier I thought Fats should have played pretty early on in the second half if not some of the first half because I mean you, you know it's we were up by 20, or at least 10-plus, a majority of that game. I think if and they Rose didn't score too. 46 in the second half, we would have. But I, my mind was the coaches were saying, look, you, you, we can't, you can't come out because you're not really playing defense. Yeah. Well, you so know? it was a the punishment thing is almost. Too, like, you're up 20, you let, them, you let them go on a little bit of a run. The metrics right now aren't really as important as they were. So it's, I don't know, I feel like you got a, a little leeway. Those guys deserve to play. You know, I'm not there in practice, but I would have. I'm always nervous about injuries too. To like, yeah, starting five and Joe Bam. Like, and, I'm always and Toby. Like, like the, the way he up, jumps, I'm like, yeah, get him out, get him out, <laughs> an ankle or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the Rams get two home wins, which means we can hear from the professor for a crowd rating. It's time to hand it off to Chris Mason. Time's up, and the professor has arrived at classes with grades in hand. We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! How rowdy was the stew last night? Here to grade the crowd's performance, it's Chris Mason, Crowd Rating. So a couple episodes we've had with no home games, so this is nice to get a double dose back-to-back, a little homestand, and St. Joe's starting out, like Awad mentioned, homecoming, always love a good theme. Um, it was packed, brimmed up to the, the press row. Um, people were, like, rocking out, swaying back and forth in the... Um, intros, um, tons of sorority and frat stars there in the crowd. <laughs> um, and it was just a big, like, difference from our St. Louis game me and Connor were at, just the Peppas. Like, it made me appreciate them. I shout them out every time. But it's kind of like a cinematic experience. They're, like, blaring music the second you walk in, like, hours ahead of the game. It's, like, kind of felt like nervous music the second half, like the soundtrack to the game. And then they always played, like, a post-game song as well. So, I mean, that was an A. Um, Love that theme there. And then Roadie, I was prepared to give like a lower grade. It was kind of rainy midweek, a little early, so things were off. But um, then the second half, um, I sat with Caleb a little bit with his guy, Zan, and he was talking about you got to factor in the fiddle. So I'm doing the fiddle factor, <laughs> that, that great performance in the second half. The so fiddler on the VCU. I got, yeah. I got a name. Nicole <laughs> Rodriguez. Oh, you already got it yet. Yeah. Dude. Absolutely. I had like, no idea what was – I was because that, that's an awesome song, man. And I was just like, 
I that was a curveball, man. <laughs> yeah, and just when you think like, oh, it's an aver- below average crowd, like the Peppas have something up their sleeve like that. So I was going to do B minus. I'll bump it up to B. Yeah, I had Ryan Capacci on the show. <laughs> Uh, two days ago also, and you know he was saying that building the band back up is kind of like a coaching staff coming in. He's got to develop uh, the band members to be ready to be sophomores, you know, juniors, seniors, and uh, yeah, he added a song just for the Fiddler. Mm-hmm. She's awesome, but you're not going to see a, a crowd in America like react to the band like that, like here in Richmond. It was just unbelievable. No, and you know I'm not going to get in the middle of the battle of the bands. I saw a Mason fan tweet like, "Boo." Um, they were like, I hate how everyone says that VCU's got the best pet band in the country. Like, hello, do they live under a rock? And Mason does not have that extra gear that well, the VCU's problem is, band has. Is you don't see Mason and in then, an NCAA tournament nah. game. Well, also, but they're, they're, <laughs> say, say their band plays some sweet song, the fans aren't there to even to react. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not even they're not even on the same planet. I've been to, in, in Brooklyn when they both play, not even close. Yeah. Usually they're out by the quarterfinals. <laughs> it, it, I will say, Nicole, if 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 Ryan and the crew let you play it against Duquesne, play it in Brooklyn. I mean that that'll get that'll get the crowd. I mean Rob Dowster, you know, he's a field of sixty eight. He's a big college basketball. He's tweeting about it last, and he yeah. knows he knows the Peppers are good. He gets down for a little Charlie Daniels band. Did uh. Ryan swing by on AWOD back to school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll listen to that one. Yeah. No, I didn't really know that. Cool. That's hype. Yeah. No, it was a really cool show. I had field hockey coach on women's basketball. We're going to support her this Saturday. Got to support her. Yeah. No, it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, so you mentioned uh, your crowd rating. What was the official score for both games? A, St. Joe's, B, um, Rody. B, Rody. Okay. Yeah. St. Joe's was lit. a lot of people there. Yeah. And it you felt, know, it felt full. I'm, I'm not yeah. a big fan of Sunday games. I just like to, you know, get my mind right for the upcoming week but that was a fun game yeah i like like to have your game schedule set up you know for you know for exactly. viewing at night yeah i know mm-hmm. it is all right so we go from the crowd rating to the stat monster caleb jones what in god's holy name are you blathering about let's hand it off to caleb jones the stat monster today's stat monster theme is kill shots oh Evan Miyakama, uh, Evan Maya has his uh, his analytics website, um, and he has a section called Kill Shots or a stat called Kill Shots. This is defined as double digit scoring runs. So anytime you score ten plus points, yeah, I've heard about this. Th- yeah, this was big last year it, in the NCAA tournament, right? Uh, as far as I know, it's new this year, but it's okay. getting pretty popular. Um, or if you concede a ten plus point scoring run, uh, that, that's not a good thing. VCU is 12th in the conference on offense with 0.39 kill shots a game. That's 11 total on the season. They are first in the conference in kill shots conceded with 0.25 a game. Wow. 0.25 a game. So seven total on the season. So they are very good at keeping people from going on 10-point scoring runs. We don't do it a ton on offense, unfortunately. But I think, uh, you know, when you really look at how this season has unfolded, that explains a lot of the rock fights. We're just really good at uh, not allowing spurtability, and we don't really do it a ton ourselves. Looking at the last two games, we've had a kill shot in each of those games. And you look across the roster, and none other than Joe Bam would explain that. Um, and he just personifies a kill shot because he himself, I'm not saying he's going to go for 10 individually but any 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 night he can go off for a a big spurt and then some of the other guys can chip in yeah but I bring this up because I think it's particularly important because our tempo is so slow I've said this before but we are 294th in the country in offensive tempo so if we can go on a kill shot if we can register a kill shot we're gonna be in a pretty good situation because um you know obviously we need that that quick offense so I tallied it up and we are 9-2 and two when we register a kill shot on offense. So, uh, you know, if, if we're looking at a game, if we're watching one, if we go on a 10-point run, pretty good chance we're going to win that game. That's a good stat. Question for you. So if a team in a span of like three minutes goes on a 14-3 to three run – is are there any? Is it a, is it specific? specific no. it has to be ten points. Which, it's it's got to be double. It's got to be uh, double figures. Double figures without any response. Without, without with no without okay. a response. Does the time matter? Because sometimes VCU has gone on scoring droughts. And the other team's scoring a couple buckets, but we're getting stopped. So it's five or six minutes. 
doesn't matter the time. Okay. It's, it's just as long as it's 10 points. Gotcha. I feel sense. like uh, the Shaka era, we get a lot of kill shots. It'd be I, like Briante steal and then like kick it to Melvin three. I would then, love to look back on yeah. some, of, some of you know some of those defensive teams that would just go on crazy runs. Right, and Troy Daniels knocking out yeah. threes. Yeah. But yeah, nine and two when we, mm. when we register a kill shot in a game. And uh, we're pretty good at not allowing them. So, uh, you know, the defense is, is, is staying tight. Um, the only other thing that I was going to update us on is the points per possession the last two games. The power of one. The power of one. Um, we're the, it's still intact. We are still undefeated when we, when we allow less than one point per possession. Um, but against St. Joe's, we allowed 1.06 points per possession. We posted 1.12 on offense. So the defense, like we know, got sloppy in the second half. Eric Reynolds went off, which explains them being over one. Uh, but again, our offense was pretty good that night. We were in control. We were up 10 with... I think about two minutes left, and uh, you know they just got some some easy ones at the end there, and then against Rhode Island we held them to zero point nine six points per possession. We posted a one point two six on offense, which is one of our highest of the season. I think second or third. What's so, that? What's the total record now with with giving up less than one point per possession? Uh, I would have to look at the number of times that like we've third, done that. It's, it's probably t- like fourteen or fifteen times. I figured it was in the t- I know, every time we've done it, we win. I think you said. I think it was 13, like, two weeks ago, and then we played St. Louis and UMass, and that obviously didn't happen in either one of those games. So I, th- yeah. I think it was 13 two weeks ago. We didn't probably, do it against so – It's probably, it's probably 14. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. so how do they focus on doing that more often? Doing what? Going on a, a kill shot? No, no, no. Oh. Winning the power of one. Um. Well, that, that's, a, uh, that's a good question. You. I mean, it's all about how efficient your defense is. Right. Um. And – which which is Re- going I mean, back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, like limiting defensive breakdowns, make them work for everybody. Yeah, I mean it's really a culmination of of a lot of things. It's limiting three pointers. Obviously, those count a little more. Um, rebounding well, not allowing second, second chance, chance points. Yeah. Um, you know it's 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 a and that's why I think it's such a good all encompassing measurement or you know statistic because I think it really tells you how efficiently you're doing a particular thing playing defense in this case. All right, so the Rams will hit the road for a six-mile travel to Henrico to the Robin Center, the home of the Spiders. It's time to invade the web this Saturday. Let's preview this game. Connor Bailey, what you got? So first off, I remember as a kid, like in the 2000s, the uh, advertisements for for Yavar was always, get caught in the web. And obviously as a VCU guy, it just irked me. So I just want to throw that out there that you said web. But uh, hey, man, uh, so this is going to be a fun game. It's a primetime game over the Robin Center, 6 p.m. start. Um, the the kind of background note, I want to focus on Richmond for a second. So uh, we obviously know VCU won the first matchup four weeks ago, but Richmond's 13-2 and in the A-10, 21-7 overall. They are one full game ahead of Loyola and Dayton, who are both 12-3, and yeah. and they have the tiebreaker over both of those teams because they played them once both, and they beat them both. And Dayton goes, as we record this pod on Thursday, Dayton plays at Loyola Friday, so one of those two teams – by Friday night, will be will have four losses. So they'll they'll pretty much one of the whoever loses the Dayton Loyola game is pretty much relegated to third or fourth place. It's just how it's going to be. Which is great, hey, yeah. Con- dude. Connor. I got a question for you here. Is it beneficial for Loyola to lose that game uh, from our perspective because we have the tiebreaker against them? Yeah, I mean we still now if, for getting the third. Season. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. And Dayton, I mean, there's no way it would obviously hurt. Yeah. Exactly. But like, yeah. Do, do Whereas, we want do yeah. we want Dayton to win? Perhaps yes, yeah, because because Dayton we beat them once, we play them again, so they could still beat it. You know, yeah. so to answer your question, yes, in in a baseline theory, yes. Um, so, but overall, Richmond, that's the first thing I want to throw, uh, I want to mention. Uh, Richmond's in a situation next week after they play BC, they host St. Joseph's and they go to Mason. I imagine if you're a Richmond fan or a Richmond player, you'd love to beat VCU because then you'd enter the final week of the season guaranteed, knowing if you go one and one, just get one one, a win at home against St. Joe's, who we know how iffy they are. All of a sudden, you're the one seed in the A10. So it's a huge Don't game for Don't they finish the game at St. Louis? Or uh, at, at, Mason, at the, Mason. They host St. Joe's on Wednesday. But what I'm saying is if they, if they were to beat VCU, and they just got to beat St. Joe's at home, and then they can relax. Like it, yeah. And they're also fighting for a potential well, – you know, they're – it's hard to tell if they're in the at-large perspective because so many so many bracketologists have them as the auto bid because they're in first place. You're like, are they? Are they? You just kind of plugging them in. So that's from you Rick. can always look at their seed. They're yeah. twelve. So yeah, they're, so they're, it's they don't have a, Yeah. So, but they're they. You know, if you're Richmond, you've never finished. You've never been the one seed in the A10 tournament or A10 tournament. You never finished outright first place. They're fighting for that. Also, we beat them the first time and we kind of pushed them around a little we bit. We dominated in the, in the second yeah. half. We just the first half was a rock fight. Second half, we kind of blew them out. So that's kind of how I look at it. 
a stat I want to focus on. So I mentioned Richmond is, tw- you know, I, I could break down all what they do. Look, we know they don't offensive rebound very well. We know that they're, they've played very good defensively. But so I look at Richmond, 21 and 7 overall. When they turn the ball over 11 times, or, or excuse me, 10 times or more, they turn the ball over 11 times against VCU. They're 4 and 3 in those games where they turn the ball over double digits. They're 17 and 4 when they turn the ball over 10 times or less. So we force them to 11 turnovers. That's three of their seven losses. So four and three when double digit turnovers offensively, 17 and four when they don't turn. So we so we can turn turn them over and they're first in the nation in turnover percentage offensively. Jordan King's a baller. They just don't they don't really make dumb decisions. So that's a stat I want to focus on is we turn them over 11 times at the single center. Let's do that again. So that's kind of my big statistic. Like I said, we know they're not a good offensive rebounder. That's not even their identity. It's not ODU 2011. I mean, Neil Quinn kind of stands at the at the elbow, tries to do handoffs and stuff, might get an open layup or his little push shot that Adam loves. That he, Adam, you were hyping up last pod. And he had a couple of those at the stew. Uh, but the big thing is, if we can turn them over, the odds of us winning are greater. You might have mis- uh, mentioned this and I missed it, but, yeah, they had 11 turnovers in the first game. Exactly. So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's incredibly important. And I think – Probably the best way to do that is get the ball out of their playmakers' hands. Uh, Connor, we were texting about this earlier. But I think that the, the scattering report is you know that everything runs through Jordan King and Neil Quinn to a lesser degree. But you just deny, deny, deny Jordan King from getting the ball. Make his life a living hell. Almost, I'm not saying you play like a box in one, but like you just you run over every screen. You hedge super hard on him. You just – you don't let him get any open looks. And if other guys beat you, then so be it. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Uh, I kind of like how they did it against Gibson Jemerson, right? If he doesn't get any attempts, he yeah, can't, burn, exactly. he can't right. burn you. Um, and they did a good job against Jordan King on that in the first game. I did want to mention from the Richmond game the first time at the Seagull Center, I felt like we did a really good job at times defending the backdoor cut. And then at times, I think Coach Mooney just like told him, hey, I don't care if it's not open, throw it, right? And they were starting to score with those backdoor cuts. You have to keep an eye on the ball and your man at all times. I know we're trying so hard to deny, but that's kind of where you get burnt backdoor when you're focusing too much on the handoff. Yeah, you got to play principal defense, but I still think, I still maintain that taking out their two, their top two or three threats is is essential, and that's Neil Quinn and Bigelow after him. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I remember Mooney, the last press conference at the stew, he kind of called out Neil Quinn. He's like, he wasn't tough enough. He wasn't aggressive enough. So I'd look for them to like get yeah. in involved. More. And it, again, I think it's really interesting to see where he's getting his, his touches. Um, he's a good passer at the top of the post, but that's where I want him, you know? Um, also the last game against Richmond Mooney blamed himself for not playing the bench more. Right. We know how prolific VCU's bench can be. It's going to be interesting to see the bench match. Yeah, and it, it, it's worth mentioning that they just lost Jason Roach for the rest of the year. And, uh, you know, he's only averaging three points a game. But, um, you know, that's a guy that's a good shooter. Um, he has been. And I think that he's a guy that can hit you up for nine or 12 points pretty quick on three or four threes. So um, they're not going to stretch the floor quite as much. Um, it's – it's so weird because it's just your atypical Richmond Spiders team. Um, but, yeah, I and mean, I think that I, I really I really like the way we match up with them. So um, so they have two losses in the conference. Both of those losses they scored in the 50s. So I'm going to put the magic number for VCU around 68. 68? Got to score 68 points. Okay. It's it's kind of funny you mentioned the other loss was at home to UMass and they kind of got handily beaten that game. It, the the final deficit was I think it was sixty nine fifty nine or it was, it was it was by ten points sixty eight fifty eight yeah but it felt like it was like a sixteen point game. Richmond's kind of you know ever since they beat us it's like they beat Fordham on the road not on national television by fourteen. Uh, they beat or they beat LaSalle not on national television by sixteen. Beat a uh, loss to UMass. Beat GW on USA Network like at two thirty. No one's watching that game unless you're a Richmond <laughs> or a GW fan by sixteen. One at Rhode Island by eight, not on national television. Beat Davidson last week, and there was a um, questionable call late. That was game. very questionable. Yeah, you know, he did a little Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Uh, and Davidson should have yeah. beat them at Davidson. Um, it's two, two so games, what you're yeah. saying is they haven't blown you away. They're, Richmond is a good basketball team. They're, they're, They've A lot of their games have not – they're nationally, I feel like they – like UMass has had their little runs where it's, hey, UMass is the team to watch. Loyola just went on a big win streak until they lost to Bonaventure. Richmond's almost kind of lost their luster, but they're just winning games. So I, I credit them. They, they, they I, find ways to win games. The thing about them that they haven't had in the past years is they're taking care of the easy games aside from like Davidson and um, – but I think they're just beating the bad teams that they should. And a lot of – like last year even – 
those are the games that they struggled with. Like well, them they, they were better them. than some of these teams. They just them winning the winning the game against Dayton was huge for them. Oh yeah, oh, that was kind of their yeah. com- was, that was their coming was out part. Such yeah. a confidence builder for them too. But like Richmond two years ago went ten and eight, finished six in the A ten. We know they won the A ten tournament. They had a game at home against St. Joseph's that year, who was definitely in the plate in the pillow fight where they lost by like twenty eight randomly at home. And it's kinda like they just they haven't That's had the kind of thing I'm talking they about. They haven't had any like they they lost at Wichita State, Wichita State's bad this year. They haven't had any just duds. Like their their worst conference uh game was at home against UMass. UMass is a good team. They waxed us. So they've they've done what they had to do. Felt like they had some success last game against VCU when they were down trying to full-court press. I remember one play where Jordan King stole it and went down the court and got a layup. Uh, so hopefully the Rams are more prepared for the full-court That's pressure. That's right. S- send back some extra bodies. We've got good ball handlers that don't really turn the ball over a ton. So that's uh, a gripe that I've had with Odom. When, when people throw a press at us out of the blue, we just have our two guards back there and no help. Um, so I, I just think it's something that they you do just that have to and then they, they put a small forward in the middle of the court. Right. You know? Yeah. Give, give yourself an outlet and Bearstow is perfect for it because he's going to get a three or a four on him and they're not going to be able to, you know, he, he's, he's solid in that situation. So it'll be a good one this Saturday, 6 PM pregame coverage starts right here on nine ten. the fan at five fifteen, And then the Rams will have their final home game of the season versus Duquesne next Tuesday. Connor, what you got? Duquesne, right now they're sixteen and eleven overall, uh, seven and eight in the A ten. Started off zero and five in the A ten, uh, but seven and three since then. They go to Mason this weekend. That's a big game because that, you know, we we mentioned how the middle kind of was kind of cluttered for a while. Now UMass and Bonaventure are kind of fifth and six, but then it's that Mason, Joe's, Duquesne, seven eight nine with Fordham kind of hanging at ten. So that's a big game. Uh, but Duquesne, uh, one thing I want to mention with them, they're dead last in the A ten and offense and Ken Palm offensive efficiency. Is that? Wow. In, in in A ten play, which is kind of weird. It's very weird because it's they weird. have some talent. Yeah, on but they're de- and they've and they've played well recently. You you figured it would have changed since then. They're two hundred eighty first in the nation, dead last in A ten in defensive offensive rebound percentage. What I'm saying is, let Toby eat. When you shoot a shot, make sure Toby's down there. He can do his little thing where he jumps seven feet in the air and just grabs it. So that's two stats I really want to pay attention to. A third stat actually. This is. This is well. Excuse me. I was going to mention defense. They get steals. Offensively, they're 14th out of 15th in a 10 play in offensive steal percentage. We can get steals on them. This isn't like Richmond that just doesn't turn the ball over. We can steal the ball from them. Trey Clark, former VCU player, very good player. We've seen Trey Clark before. He's known to either miss threes or turn the ball over. He can get he can get steals like Brionte Weber. I'll give him that. But they they turn the ball over. So that's something I want to mention with Duquesne. Uh, and I'll get I'll get to this. I'll get to the impact of these two games. Um, with our season and the final thoughts, but uh, regardless of what happens against whatever happens at U of R Saturday, we're either going to be in a position where, hey, we win it, we clinch the double bye, or hey, let's continue winning, let's try to move up in the standings. Yeah, I would, I would just say that I'm very glad that this game is at home. If this was an away game, I'd be a lot more stressed out about it. Um, you know, we should win. This is a talented roster. You look at some of their their recent results, and like they beat St. Bonaventure by 16 yeah. at St. Bonaventure. But then they lose at home to Davidson by 13. I don't. I don't really know. It's you know this team doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But they do have a lot of talent, and I do think that Jimmy Clark's gonna be fired up to play at the Siegel Center. So, yeah, I, it's uh, a game you have to be very careful of and take very seriously. I, I think this is a game here where we need big play from the big men down low. We know that they've got scores in the guard position, and it could be one of those things where we're trading buckets with them, with Joe Bam going back and forth, or Shulga going back and forth with Day Day Grant or Jimmy Clark. We're going to have to win it in the post, I think. Yeah, um, they they do have a lot of bodies, athletic bodies, that they can throw at you in the post. So I think it is important um, you know, for our, our bigs to play strong, as, as I would probably say every game. Um, but, yeah, they, they got to show up um, – because I think that their guards can do a lot of damage too, um, so there'll be a lot of a lot of you know pressure on our defense to to keep them off the three point line. And Stab Monsters talked about a lot of talent. Day uh, Day Grant was first team preseason um, All Conference. Trey Clark was second team, and they were picked fourth overall. So disappointing year, but they do have the guys to be. Yeah, and, yeah they and, definitely and got some guns. It for kind sure. of feels like they're they're starting to get it together here. Uh, with Coach Dambrot there, and maybe they could be a scary team in March. But uh, you're right. Good thing this game is at home at the Siegel Center. And for senior night, it's Kwani and Bearstow. Correct. Oh, you right. already heard that? Or is that correct? They're, they have zero eligibility left, so they're 100%. I have not seen anything about 
Shulga, Zeb Jackson, or uh, Joe Ben. Joe Ban- no, we haven't seen anything. Whereas like UMass last week did senior night, and it was like Matt Cross got represented, but Jake Co- or uh, Josh Cohen, who doesn't have, who's a senior, they like didn't represent him and stuff. So I, I we know the super seniors are definitely are definitely gone. So that well, I'm kind of intrigued. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of a surprise. Yeah. You're listening to the Black and Gold Fan Podcast, an affiliate of the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, if you're enjoying the show, spread the word. Send it to a friend or a relative, someone you know that's a diehard fan of Ram Nation. We each get our own segment. It's time to hand it off to Connor Bailey for This Week in VCU History. This Week in VCU Basketball History. Every episode, Connor will break down a memorable game in VCU basketball history that took place during this week in time. February 26, 2005. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was three pods ago, I mentioned uh, UNC Wilmington and Seahawks. They were a thorn in the side of VCU fans for years. And at this point, Brett Blizzard was already gone, but uh, you had current Clemson coach Brad Brownell was the head coach, and they had guys like John Goldsbury, just stud players. Um, this is senior night in the CAA, and ODU had already clinched the one seed that year. But VCU was 16 and 11 overall, 12 and 5 in the CAA, and UNC Wilmington was 18 and 8 overall, 13 and 4 in the CAA. So UNC Wilmington led VCU by one game, second and third place. UNC Wilmington won the first game. Uh, so if VCU would have won, they would have finished tied, and they would have kind of split. But VCU had beaten ODU, so VCU was in a situation where a win makes them the two seed, a loss puts them down to the four seed because they would have tied Drexel and Hofstra and lost tiebreakers. Uh, so big game, and like I said, UNC Wilmington was our thorn on our side. Uh, so they led UNC Wilmington led 29-23 at the half, uh, and as many as 19 in the second half. Uh, after a Halston lane by Yunsu on his free throw, it was a 58 to 39, 19 point lead with 533 to go. All right, so 19 point lead, 530 to go. You know, I'm not a, you know, we're analytics guys. I'm not an analytics, I don't have my own website like all the per guys that Caleb mentions, but I, I imagine the percentile coming back from a 19 point game with five and a half to go is probably pretty low. 0.01%. It's definitely <laughs> up there. But hey, you know, our guys tried. So VCU would go on a 7 0 run, uh, Nick George layup, BA Walker three, Nick George layup, cut the lead to 58 46 with 419 left. Uh, UNC Wilmington hits a few free throws, but then Michael Doles, who's a senior on senior night, hits a three, then hits another three. All of a sudden, the score is 60 to 52. With 3:26 left, uh, UNC Wilmington would hit five or six free throws on their next few possessions. VCU had some empty possessions in that in those spans. So all of a sudden, it's back up to 13, 65-52 with 2:06 left. Excuse me, 13 point game with 2:06 left. Uh, BA Walker makes a layup, 65-54. Uh, UNC Wilmington would turn over, commit a turnover, then foul uh, Jesse Paul Rosa, who hits two free throws. So quick four points. All of a sudden, it's 65-56 with 1:38 left. Still a nine point game. Uh, John Goldsbury and Caleb can back on this. That dude was at UNC Wilmington for like nine years. Yeah. He was a hooper. He was there for a he long was time. Like, it was like we got rid of Brett Blizzard and that guy who just <laughs> filled his shoes. Just the same, like, same white dude. dude. <laughs> uh, but uh, he hits one or two free throws, which is crazy because that dude shot like 95% from the foul line. Um, so they take a 66-56 lead with 115 left. Uh, B.A. Walker pulls up from three, 105 left, down seven, 66-59. Halston Lane hits one or, free, one or two free throws, so it's 67-59 with 47 seconds left. So we're down eight with 47 seconds left. Uh, sophomore Jesse Polarosa makes a nice little spin and layup to cut it to 66-61 with 30. 36 left, and uh, VCU calls a defensive timeout. Next possession, they throw the ball into T.J. Carter. He was a darn good point guard at UNC Wilmington, by the way. And he kind of just loses it out of bounds, kind of in the corner. So we're talking about the Seagull Center. So on the camera, this is the bottom right-hand corner. Uh, you know, team still shot on the same same sides back then. Uh, okay, so down, down five, 66-61 with 36 seconds left. Probably the craziest sequence, not NCAA tournament-related or conference tournament-related, that I've witnessed as a VCU fan. Uh, so Michael Doles, and you know, I love a play call down late where you have the the inbounds player is the guy you want shooting it. So they pass the ball and you get the ball right back. Michael Doles passes the ball in uh, and he gets the ball right back, makes a jumper with about 30 seconds, a two-point jumper to make it 66-63. Inbounds play, Renardo Dixon, who was not the best VCU player, good defender, tips the ball, and Michael Doles somehow catches it probably like five foot behind the three-point line, takes like three awkward dribbles, jacks up a three, tie game at 66 with 30 seconds left. And it's one of the coolest calls ever heard in my life. Michael Doles gets it to Nick George, back to Doles. He's thinking about that three, stepped inside the arc, knocked down a shot. It's a three-point game. And they've got the ball back. Doles will try it again. Go! It's time! Michael Doles! Unbelievable, we are tied! 
So all of a sudden, it's tie game. Brad Brownell does not call a timeout. This is a 35-second shot clock, mind you. You know, So there's like 31 seconds left. He doesn't call a timeout. Kind of lets Goldsbury throw up some kind of off-balance shot. Kind of wanted a foul. They didn't call it. Uh, but hey, it's 66-66. We go to overtime. And the call is just amazing. It, it's one of those that I, I still can hear. Um, Overtime's kind of boring. Both teams only score a few points. VCU led 71-68 with 45 seconds left. Halston Lane hits a three to tie it at 71. Uh, Cable sets up a play for Doles in the final possession. He gets fouled with, uh, on a 15-foot jump, foot jumper with five seconds left. Misses the first free throw, makes a second free throw. Uh, UNC woman goes on the court down one, kind of just kind of has a uh, – they don't even get, really get a shot off. And it's kind of ironic because in the past week there's been a lot of talks about storm courts. A court storm, excuse me. There was a court storm after this game because it was just the magnitude of it. And I remember um, VCU still radio or uh, announcer Connor Elliott's yelling, there are injured players on the court. Uh, yeah, like, it's Calvin Rowland. It's Calvin Rowland and a UNC woman player. I think they just kind of banged bodies late and there's injured players. So it's kind of funny like watch that because our friend Matt Shelton, he he, uh, he posted something about the only two court storms he remembers really are the Oklahoma win in 09 and then Wilmington 05. And we, we stormed the court against Louisville the first game. Uh, but it was the craziest game I've witnessed. Michael Doles went unconscious. I remember when it went to, re- went to overtime, as soon as regulation ended, I remember he's kind of like walking back to the – bench almost looking like he's going to pass out just being like i have no idea what just happened uh awesome game so he obviously led in scoring caleb do you know who was second in scoring in that game um caleb this is up to you it sounds like ba walker (laughs) ba walker had 14 points so doles had 22 points mind you he had five points at the six minute mark of the second half so he scored 17 points into the game and into regulation Uh, um ba walker had 14 jesse had 13 uh you just want to start naming some random dudes that scored in that game Uh, calvin Rowland. (laughs) uh yeah he had six points uh, Maynard. Uh, Maynard's not there yet. He's uh, I was see. okay. Yeah. Um, Dominic Jones. He's gone, but he's he graduated the year before. Wait, him. did we? That this, team went to the tournament. right? We lost to ODU in the CA title in overtime. Oh four, oh five. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is oh, the year. So I'm thinking of the year prior. When of, we went to when yeah. we played Wake. Yeah. So this yeah. is oh four, oh five. Okay. Um. Ooh. Uh. This is tough. Yeah. Doles, Rowan, Pelarosa, and Walker. Any hint? Uh, one of the dudes I always say Joe Bam kind of looks like Jamal Schuler. Well, he actually he played four minutes, didn't score though. But uh, <laughs> he played yeah. four minutes. Um, um, one dude had guns but couldn't shoot. Uh, curse. Uh, no. no, he's not there yet. Um, I don't know. You got to help me. Alexander Harper. He oh, had, I loved he Alexander Harper. He had some guns. For some uh, King George. I mentioned him. Oh, uh, yeah, Renardo Dixon. Renardo Dixon. He yeah. really good athlete. He, Toby Lewalk and John Bernardo Dixon could compete. Not, I'm not saying he's Toby. He could compete with him. Uh, he was honestly. he was just so long. Yeah. He was taller, too. Uh, and then Derek Reed played, and Sam Falk scored four yeah. minutes that game. So. Yeah. But an awesome win. We beat the Seahawks. We ended up the two seed. And um, it's just a memory I'll always remember. Michael Doles. I saw him at the Seagull Center. I think it was the GW game this year. I'm like, Michael Doles game, because that's what it's called. So, fun memory. And now it's time for AWOD's Energy. It's time for AWOD's Energy. What about VCU Hoops has AWOD pumped up for this week? My energy this week is for the calendar. It is officially March as of midnight tonight. We're recording this on a leap day, February 29th. 2024. March is here. I'm excited to get to Brooklyn. Uh, We've got our hotel set up. Caleb's going to get a house. We're going to get the boys together. The Rams are going to win in Brooklyn. I've got three live shows from uh, a bar, Black Forest Brooklyn, uh, to invite fans and listeners to. And yeah, I mean, March is here. I'm fired up for this. We're going to be spending the entire month of March dedicating multiple segments every day on my show to VCU basketball and college hoops. And it's just my favorite month of the year. I absolutely love conference tournaments. And Connor, you know this. Real basketball fans know conference tournaments are better than the NCAA tournament. It's more exciting. It means more to the seniors. This is what it's all about, conference tournaments. I love conference tournaments. Been going to them you know, my whole life, going back to the Coliseum days, the CAA tournament. But, uh, you know, you, you, you watch a game, especially a game, especially when you're t- not watching your team play and you just kind of see – you see, you'll see a team that's like the ten seed of their conference tournament. You'll see a senior check out for the last time. You kind of feel you're like you just worked your butt off for a couple of years. But uh, yeah. it's something about seeing walking up to the arena, seeing uh, Bonaventure fans, seeing last yeah. year Fordham fans just yelling "f you" at me in the bathroom when we weren't even playing them. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what the hell happened? But uh, uh, Dayton fans, St. Louis fans. Um, 
like I said, I, I would say George Mason just does, they never make the semifinals, so it's hard to see. Um, <laughs> Davidson fans, you know, they they come, you know, they're you know they're wearing their speedos, white hair, and everything. It's it's fun, you know. At, at the end of the day, we're all kind of the same. We're all like a, a college basketball team that at the end of the year only one team gets to gets to win it all. So we're all we're all in, enjoying it. So I I love March. You guys know I love March. Not a big fan of leap year because it it, it it keeps you from March one more day. <laughs> you know our boy Rostein right now. I mean I. I we get out of here, and it's going to be one hour till March, or five hours, four hours, three hours. Yeah. Uh, it's March, though. Absolutely love the A-10 tournament. Look forward to it every year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it with your rivals and the teams that you know the best, you just want to cement your status as being the top team in the conference. And, uh, you know, when VCU makes a tournament an appearance, I think that, you know, you at least just for another year silence that discussion. Um, and you know, as we've documented plenty of times, we have the most tournament appearances since we've joined the conference, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, the competitiveness that comes with it makes the conference tournament so much more exciting. Yeah. And for a 10 level tournaments, it's so big. Cause you don't get like eight bids, like the big 12 or sec or those bids. So like winning this. And then if you even make the tournament, everything else is kind of gravy. Absolutely. And I was also going to say, um, I like how we title our episodes, like, this one's episode 16, and it's next week will be ep- like episode 17. It's like NFL, so like people are talking about like clinching buys, and it's like, oh, who gets a first round buy? Who gets double buy? So, oh. getting excited. Yeah, I mean, I just get so fired up for Selection Sunday. I, I th- it's such a great bit. Like, there's a lot of good bits in sports that like eventually get stale. Selection Sunday just doesn't. Yeah. It's so great. I'm, you know. Typically, you know, VCU plays in the A-10 title game, or I'm typically on the road during yep. that time. But I was, I'm still a blank bracket and pencil guy. Like when Greg Gumbel comes on the screen, baby, it's just yeah. it's hype. Oh, I hate when people leak it on Twitter. Oh, Stop that, doing that. that. Yeah. Let me That's watch on cool. TV like a kid. Yeah, every time we're coming back from Brooklyn, we're streaming it on the on someone's iPad or something. Right. Oh, and dude, my, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's so exciting to see who's going where and match up with who. And you're, the best feeling awesome. is when you know you're like in, you're like. Ah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> or, or you see that eleven, that eleven five come, or that yeah. twelve five come up, and you're like, "Ooh, I got that upset." Yeah, yeah. yeah I like how Greg Gumble always does like the mascot first. He's like the Ramblers of Loyola. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's a big he's a big Virginia Commonwealth guy. By the yeah. way, love saying Virginia Commonwealth. So. All right, now it's time for final thoughts here on the Black Gold Fan Podcast. Know your role and shut your mouth. Yes, yeah, so I was watching game day on Saturday. They VC popped up as last four team in in a ninety six team bracket, and obviously everyone would love sixty eight to stay. But I need the experts to weigh in. What's more likely, like a ninety six team tournament where like everyone's included and you still have upsets and Cinderellas, or B, what I'm kind of worried about, like the Power Five or whatever four in college basketball they like do their own tournament and then vcu's on the outside looking in yeah that latter option is just absolutely trash it would totally dilute the entire product and make it you know basically pointless but what i think is going to happen is going to be kind of a hybrid of the first option you mentioned of of 9016 tournament i think it's gonna be like 70 something um they're gonna gradually expand it and hopefully they stop there for a good time it'll be like 20 (laughs) more 500 like power five or yeah no nah, i mean yeah there's some ways they could maybe make it better i wish they'd go back to 64 <laughs> connor uh, piggyback on what caleb said yeah i mean 68 honestly you could make a case is too many i think they, i think they add about eight i think in general I, I think dayton dayton does an awesome job with the first four i think a lot of people myself included have kind of gotten stale of at 6 40 p.m watching two 16 seeds and then at 9 10 tip it's usually two eight and eight and ten it sucks. Yeah. schools. It sucks. I think there needs to be something during the day. Uh, the COVID year, that's the whole thing. The Watch COVID, at work. The COVID year twenty yeah. uh, twenty twenty one. They they did it on Thursday instead, and it was four games. Drake played Wichita State. It was a very good basketball game. Right. Uh, I think they need, I think they need a little more juice than those two days. My obviously underrated opinion. Uh, any Power Five school would absolutely hate this, but if you have a sub five hundred conference right. record, you're ineligible for postseason. Really. Yeah, I mean, there's way too much money coming from Power Five schools. Just go to but, jail. Yeah, no, but yeah. you're right you're about like not allowed. I mean, I, I just hate the 16 on 16 matchup. Um, 2011 VCU was that an 11-11 matchup with yes. USC? Yes, it was yeah. the it was, was the, the it was the Wednesday. Uh, it was we played Wednesday that week. Yeah, see, that's that's the kind of exciting matchup that I want. But actually, I'm going to upset a few listeners here. I know. Uh, I'm a diehard fan of Jim Laranega. 
I followed him at George Mason, went to the Final Four, was going to his summer camp every single year, and then kind of became quietly a bit of a The U fan with him down there. And I, I loved watching his team make the Final Four last season. Uh, so now he's accomplished that feat twice. He told me last year in a conversation at the ACC tip-off, his idea is 96 teams. And the way you do it is you have the play-in tournament the same Tuesday and Wednesday, and by you get by the time you get to the Thursday of the real damn competition, you're back down to exactly 64 with having a 32-team play into the tournament, and I love that idea. And he kept saying so many people graduate college hoops without getting an opportunity to play in the biggest stage in basketball, which is the NCAA tournament, because, oh, they lost at the buzzer to College of Charleston or something like that, <laughs> and it helps the mid-majors out if you extend it to 96. I see your point there, but I also think it takes takes away from the allure of actually making the tournament. Right, but my whole point is is that you get back to 64 by Thursday, you can still consider that the real tournament, but now you've added more teams, giving them a shot at glory. Yeah, I understand your point. Um, I mean, the numbers, they make sense. I get it. Yeah. But I still, I just think that, you know, to make the tournament, it means so much more, especially to a program like us. When it is, it means more, number. but it you get less heartbreak, right? Oh, there's still gonna be heartbreak. It's March, baby. March is full of heartbreak. All right, that's my thought. Uh, but that was actually Chris's final thought. Let's move over to <laughs> Connor Bailey. Double final know thoughts. Know your role and shut your mouth. Got two thoughts. So uh, today's Thursday. We'll be recording a pod next week in between the Duquesne and Dayton game. And uh, look, when we record that pod. There's gonna be a couple scenarios. It'll be one is we go two and zero next week, and we're fighting for. There's no guarantee we'd be first place because Richmond, you know, only has two losses. We have four losses right now, so things have to change. But if we were to win the next two games, we'd be in a situation where we could climb in the standings. Right now, we're kind of kind of pigeonholing that four spot. Um, or we go one and one, regardless of that. Of of if we were to beat Richmond, lose to Duquesne, or lose to Richmond and beat Duquesne, we we know for a fact if we win one one of the next two games, when we go to Dayton next Friday, we are. In the, we have the double bye. We can kind of we want, obviously want to beat Dayton, but we can kind of relax a little bit, knowing hey, if we play our butts off against Dayton and still lose, hey, we, we still have a double bye. The nightmare scenario, and I, I'm going to speak for all Ram fans here. We don't want to go 0 2 because the last thing we want to do is knowing we have to go to Dayton and win to confirm that we're a double bye team. Or if we were to lose, we have to, we need bottom entry and UMass lose. So that's a thought. I've, it's been kind of crossing my mind. Let's get a win. Obviously, you'd prefer two, but let's get a win on the next two games. So when we record next week, we're kind of a little more relaxed. So that's the first thought. Second thought. As we hold, on, hold on. With that first thought, though, I agree with you. Like, locking up the top four is the most important thing. But I also am not giving up hope that we could win the damn conference regular season. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. If we win the next two, we could. Richmond, we have to beat Richmond. Richmond has to lose again. So what I was saying is if we win the next two, we're st- we have, we could play, when we play Dayton, we're still in a chance to move up in the standings from that four spot. Yeah. That can always, you have to go 2-0 and for, really, for that to really happen, realistically. Yeah, I- I mean, that just makes these next two games very exciting, so, especially but, if you get over Richmond. Ba- the uh, the bar, though, get one of the next two wins because none of us want to go to Dayton <laughs> having to win to, to get it all by. So that's my first thought. Second thought, as we record this pod, this is Thursday. It's a little after 6 o'clock. Isn't it crazy? You, you mentioned March in the conference tournament. Two weeks from now, you know, more than likely, VCU odds are they're going to play a double by, They're going to be a double-buy team, so we're playing on Thursday. More than likely, at this point, we will know if we are heading to the semis on Saturday in two weeks, or we're either or in a game or about to start a game where we know we'll be playing in the semis. That's two weeks away. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, two no. weeks. Two weeks from Brooklyn, guys. Brooklyn's right around the corner. Now it's time for Caleb. Know your role and shut your mouth. Yeah, bring the same game plan that we brought the first game against U of R. Take care of that game. And we got that home game against Duquesne, just like Connor said, and uh, that final matchup with Dayton. But um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I like the matchup with U of R, and I, I feel pretty good about it. So let's go out there and execute. Know your role and shut your mouth. My final thought is that I actually love the schedule being tough uh, to close out the season. I, I think this is one of those years where – Um, Look, you would want some cupcakes, so you go into Brooklyn on a big win streak and you got all the momentum, but with this team right now, 
I want us to be tested. We're going to be tested Saturday at Richmond. We're going to be tested at Dayton. And I think whether we win or lose those games, that test is going to help our chances in Brooklyn at a neutral site. You win a road game at Dayton, you've got all the momentum in the world when you get to Brooklyn. Even if you lose that game, you have one final shot to learn because after that, there's no more losses acceptable. It's March, baby. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think that – um you, you the the most important thing is you want to be playing your best basketball at, at the in, at the end of the year. If you win at Dayton, you're playing some good basketball right now. So I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, my my big thing is I just want to go out on the season on a high note. Uh, if that means we win two out of the next three, I'm cool with that. But yeah, let's let's take some of our best basketball going into Brooklyn. River City Roll is proudly presenting this podcast, Black and Gold Fan Pod. Don't call River City Roll a bowling alley. It's Richmond's top entertainment scene with a chef-inspired menu. Chris and I went after the win last week. So I had the cheeseburger, which was really good, but the mac and cheese was terrific. That was the best thing I've ever gotten at River City Roll. I'll be getting their Gouda Mac again. Yeah, I was jealous. That looked great. <laughs> What'd you get, man? Uh, Korean wings, but I'd gotten that before. I got it. Branch out and get the Mac. But they're still good. Yeah. Those, yeah, good. those Korean wings are good. Yeah. yeah. Their pizza's incredible. It is. So head to River City Roll today. Tell them the guys from the Black Gold Fan Podcast sent you. Go Rams, go. And thanks for listening to the show.